Jesus had told his disciples, this was sometime after the resurrection, but Jesus told his disciples to go to a mountain and wait for him there. And they were to, to stay on that mountain and wait. That wasn't a very hard thing for them to do at all. Just go to a mountain, sit there, and wait for him. And there was Peter and Nathaniel and James and John and Philip and Andrew. And, and as they're waiting there for Jesus, Peter gets this idea. He says, you know what? I'm going fishing. And so they step out and they go fishing. And they didn't catch anything all night long. Not a single fish. Until this individual shows up on the shoreline. And this person tells them, cast your net on the other side of the boat. And they did. And, then, and they began to catch a bunch of fish. I think the text tells us 153 in all. And John said, that's the Lord. Peter jumps into the water. He swims to the shoreline, and there Jesus already has breakfast prepared for them. And once all of the disciples come together around, Jesus begins to talk to Peter. And he asked Peter a question three times, the same question, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Over the next couple of weeks, I want us to look at this story and all the things that surround this story. But today I want us to focus just on that question. Do you love me? And there may be some, some intricate details to the meaning of the words within that text or the meaning of the words within that question. Maybe some background information. We'll get to some of that this week and in the coming weeks. But just the question alone do you love me? Try to place yourself in the sandals of Peter and try to answer that question yourself. Do you love Jesus? The Scripture tells us the third time that Jesus asked him this question, Peter became very grieved over the question. Do you ever get grieved? over the question, do you love Jesus? Maybe it's because you hear it all the time. Love Jesus, love Jesus, love Jesus. You need to love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Maybe we think about the way that loving Jesus is sort of abused and misused. Maybe we see it from a different perspective. We see it on one side and there's this sort of mystical way of loving Jesus. And maybe sometimes we, we just get aggravated. You know, I'd imagine there's somebody, somebody who's here or somebody who's tuning in. When they saw the title of this week's sermon in their newsletter, they maybe rolled their eyes a little bit and said, oh, we're going to talk about love again. But then on the other side of the spectrum, maybe we get a little bit aggravated because then come the words, if you really love Jesus, then you're going to do this. If you really love Jesus, you'll love him or else. And, and so perhaps we get a little bit frustrated over all those different spectrums of how people treat love or loving Jesus or the love of God. Do you ever get frustrated 
knowing that in Christianity, this is a question that's basically in front of us every single day of our lives. It happens to be just one of a myriad of other options. We live in a culture today where, where we have so many options, we don't even know what to do anymore. Just, just think about it. Some of you right now are thinking, what are we going to eat today? Well, there are a number of options to choose from. And after services today, after the live stream is over, you'll be there with your family. You'll be asking each other, what do you want to eat for lunch today? I don't know. What do you want to eat? You can't even make a decision. And so you spend 15 minutes trying to figure out where you're going to eat because there are so many options. And that, sadly, has begun to infiltrate its way into the church, too. We have so many options. We can have it like Burger King. Have it your way. We have all these options, and we can't even make a decision about how we're going to love Jesus, when we're going to love Jesus, or even if we're going to love Him at all. Because we have all of these other choices, all of these other options, things to do, places to go, people to see. And so, yes, it's possible that we grieve over that question, do you love Jesus? But really, it's not the question that we ought to be grieving over. Because what should be penetrating into our hearts, what ought to be piercing into the depths of our souls should be whether or not we grieve over our answer. How we answer that question. And see, the answer is not in the admission, but rather the answer is in the living. We can look and we see a time before this, whenever Peter told Jesus, that he was going, or Jesus told Peter he was going to uh, deny him three times. And Peter said, Lord, even if all these fall away, I'll never fall away. I'll never deny you. I'll never shrink back. That was Peter's admission of his love for Jesus. But we know what happened. I don't know him. I don't know who you're talking about. I don't even know that man. Three times he says it right there. By the campfire. And so Jesus begins asking him, Do you love me? You said it before that you love me greater than all of these. Do you truly love me more than all of these disciples love me? Then feed my sheep. Tend to my sheep. Feed my lambs. Follow me. We can say, I love Jesus. Sometimes we sing, oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. I love him, I love him, I love him, I love him. We can say it all day long. See, the trouble's not in saying it, is it? The trouble is in actually living it. Do you love Jesus? How do you answer? And I hope that we're grieving over how we answer that question. Now, in whatever way that we might answer, it must be an accepted response. And the reason why is because we didn't love him first. He loved us first. Even before we knew anything, even before we were searching for him, before we were looking for him, he's already loved us. 
I read a statement the other day. It said, love is just a word until someone comes along and gives it meaning. Jesus is the one who gave the word love meaning. So in whatever way we would respond to Jesus in love, it has to be an accepted response on our behalf. And so we're going to ask a different question. Rather than asking, do you love Jesus, let's ask this question. Does Jesus love you? Does Jesus love you? Well, yeah, whenever I was three years old, I remember I learned that song. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And that's true. But do we believe it? Does it have any influence over our lives whatsoever? It's a question that we need to to ask ourselves right now, today. It's a question that we need to ask ourselves in the morning when we wake up. Before we ever consider, how will I love Jesus today? Or can I love Jesus today? Or will I love Jesus today? We must ask ourselves this question first. Does Jesus love me? It's more than just repeating the words of a song. It's actually allowing it to take grip of your heart and and to rule in your heart. Does Jesus love you? I want to turn your attention over to 1 John chapter 3. And when looking into 1 John chapter 3, as you begin to read through it, you recognize that the context is dealing with how we are to love others. Jesus was asked one time what the greatest command was. And Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is likened to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he and and a scribe, they were in complete agreement about this. They treated it as if it was one command, loving the Lord with all your being while loving your neighbor as yourself. And when we look in the first John chapter 3, that's what he's dealing with. And he gives as a background, a a motivation and an inspiration. I guess you could say the standard of love is what God through Jesus has done for us. God sent His Son, Jesus. And Jesus suffered on the cross for you and for me. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 5, 8, and 16, if we were to combine these three verses together, they, they provide the background of how we are to love others. And this is what we discover. We know love. We know love. John is evidently writing to people that he believes understand what love is. And so as we read this, if we have any concept at all of what the story of the Bible is all about, we know what love is. We know what love looks like. Love looks like a father above sending his only son to die for us. And we know that. And so this is how he describes it. He says, he appeared. He appeared, and he appeared for two purposes. He appeared because I have sins that I commit. I've moved into a debt with God. That's me outside of a saving union with God. I'm indebted to God. I can't make up for it. No matter all the good that I may try to do, I can't make up. 
for the sin that I've committed. Somebody else has to make it up for me. Somebody else has to redeem me. Someone else has to pay that purchase price. Someone else has to forgive me. I can't do it by myself. And so there's another problem. That's the problem of the power of sin over my life. I'm dead in my trespasses. I'm dead in my sins as long as I'm outside of a saving union with Jesus. And Jesus came to take care of both of those problems. He appeared. And according to verse 16, He laid down His life for us. And verses 5 and 8 describe what were the two things that He appeared for. Number one, to take away sin. To remove that legal guilt. Secondly, to defeat the works of the devil. To overcome the power of the devil. It's described in Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. He describes how He removes the record of our debt. And he, and he disarmed the rulers of the darkness of this world. And He triumphed over them. And all for what? He did it for us. For me and for you. Now, when you think about Peter, here was a man who was a disciple of Jesus Christ. He was a friend of Jesus. Jesus considered these men that were gathered around him on the shoreline. And then he's asking Peter, do you love me? Jesus and Peter had a very special friendship. And we've never experienced that. We haven't seen Jesus. We don't know him like they were able to know him and to touch him. He even called Judas his friend. But he told those disciples, no greater love has any man than that he lay down his life for his friends. And that made sense. It was given to them in that special setting in the upper room. But now, for us, that picture looks a little bit different. Because according to Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11, we talked about it in our study together last week, but because we, we're, we're enemies. We're wicked. We were ungodly. We were sinners. We were weak. And yet even at a time when we were weak, God, knowing that we would be guilty of sin, knowing that we would be overwhelmed by the power of sin, God sent His Son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice, the substitute for us, to absorb the wrath of God upon Himself, to defeat the power of Satan, to give us hope through Him that God would be satisfied. His holiness and His love on and through Jesus for us, who by His account were His enemies. So the answer to the question, does Jesus love you? You better believe it. Yes, Jesus loves you. That is what should be screaming out of your heart right now. That's what should be bringing a smile to your face right now. Jesus loves you. Yes, Jesus loves me. And how great would it be if every single day 
of our lives. We could sing the words of that song to remind us that Jesus loves us. No matter what our circumstances are, He loves me and He loves you. Do you believe it? Do the words in your heart as you sing it, do they express it? As you think about how you step into the world, how you live your life, do you truly believe that this is the fact of life? The fact of life is Jesus loves you. Is that the way you treat your wife? Is that the way you treat your husband? Is that the way you treat your children? Is that the way you treat your friends? Do you love Jesus and does Jesus love you? Does Jesus love you? Believe it. And then live it as if you actually do believe it. He gave up everything to be humiliated, to take on poverty so, so, that, so that every single one of us might be rich and greater riches than any of the banks of the world could hold, than all the banks of the world put together could hold, riches that cannot be measured. And so what will you do with that? Well, you can do one of two things. You can either accept it or you can reject it. The very beginning of the Gospel of John began with some words about Jesus. How he came into the world, but the world didn't know him. The world didn't know him before, and whenever he came into the world, the world for the most part chose not to know him. And even as he came and dwelled among God's Special people That by the providence of God, we were meant to usher in the, the Messiah into the world. He came and dwelt among them, and they received him not. But all who do receive him and believe on his name, he gives right to become the children of God. And so you can choose. You can choose as the people of the world did in the days of Jesus. You can choose not to know Him. You can choose not to know these facts. Or even as the facts have been displayed, you can choose to reject them and say, I'm just not going to believe it. Those are the facts. God, through Jesus, did this for us. You can choose to accept it or you can choose to reject it. Now, we're just dealing with the facts. These are the facts as they've been laid out for us. And according to our faith, that's, that's verified by Jesus being raised up from the dead. There's the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's the good news for us. Either accept it or reject it. We have the choice. It's our decision. So right now, does Jesus love you? If you say no, then you're simply rejecting him. But if you say yes, then you've accepted that. Plain and simple, you have accepted the facts. Now, what do you do with it once you accept it? See, that's just the facts. There's something else to do. If there's any way by which we're saved, it's not a faith that's based merely on facts. 
It's rather a faith that places trust into a person. The person of Jesus. Who He was. Who He is now. And what He has the power and the authority to do for you right now. And so if you're accepting of those facts, how will you respond? The response is either you accept Him and love Him, or you accept those facts and choose not to love Him. It's one or the other. Knowing that Jesus has so loved you, will you respond by not loving Him in return? Or will you choose to respond by loving Him Again, that's the reason why this becomes our most important response. Our most important response. When you think about the most important thing that was done for us in the history of the world, and that was God through Jesus forgiving us. Now we want to deal with the bottom line. We want to deal with our baseline. We want to deal with with us. The most basic question of the Christian life, the most basic question of life in general. Do you love Jesus? If you're accepting of the facts of Jesus and how He loves you, you need to answer the question, do I love Him or not? To love Him, this is all important because the way you answer that will determine whether you will live in His grace or live accursed. For the close of the letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 24, Paul was writing these last few words. He gives his last farewell to, to this group of Christians, and he says, Grace to you who love the Lord Jesus Christ. When we think about grace, we think about a source, we think about a system, When we think about the state, the source being God. He's the giver of all gifts, especially the gift of salvation through grace. And we think about grace as a system that's different from the law. We're saved by faith. Faith in more than just a belief in facts, but trusting in Him. That system of salvation, those conditions, they all signify Faith, repentance signifies faith in Jesus. Baptism signifies faith in Jesus. And so through that system, we're saved. And whenever we're saved, we enter into this saving union with our Lord. It's the relationship that we have with Jesus. We walk in the light as He is in the light. And the blood of Jesus continues to cleanse us from all sin. The reason why we're walking in the light as He is in the light is because we've entered into a relationship of love. And whenever those facts penetrate into our hearts and we respond positively to enter into or to have access into this grace wherein we stand, Romans 5 verse 2, we've chosen to live a life of love. When you enter into that state of grace, You're choosing to enter into a life of love. You're saying, I want to love God, and I want to love all the people that He loves. You love in a state of grace. 
Now, just as surely as you can accept those facts and then place your trust in Jesus, you can also accept the facts and choose not to love him at all. Paul says that at the close of his first letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22, he says, Accursed is anyone who does not love the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, you'll know a tree by its fruit. Sadly enough, God says you can live such a life. Even accepting the facts of what my son has done for you and choose not to love him and choose to be accursed. Looking in the first John chapter 4, It reminds us that this is a choice. It's a decision that we have to make. It's a decision that we make every single day of our lives. 1 John 4, verse 16, Whoever abides in love abides in God. We think of what Jesus told His disciples in John 14, verse 15. He says, If you love Me, keep My commandments. If you love God, you're going to keep His commandments. If you love What Jesus did on the cross, dying on the cross, you're not going to commit those things that He died on the cross for. That's just plain logic. That's just plain reasoning. You're not going to do things that are unloving if you truly love God and love what He has done for you. Then he says in verse 8, 1 John 4, verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God, and that makes sense. If you don't love the brother or sister that's sitting right next to you, or if you don't love the brother or sister that's sitting across the room from you, if you don't love the brother or sister who, who's tuned into this live stream across town from you, if you don't have a love for the lost souls of this world, the love of God has not made an impact on your heart then how can you even know God? How can you even say you know God? How can you sing praises to a God you don't even know if love is not at the very center of your being? How can you do anything with God or for God if you don't have love? So we return to the question, Not, do you grieve over the question, but rather, do you grieve over your answer? In Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 32, Jesus said, If any man would follow after me, he will hate his mother and his brother and his wife and his children and even himself. He will take up his cross and die for me. He will take up his cross and he will follow after me. He will renounce all that he has. Three things we don't like Jesus talks about. We don't like to talk about hating, especially our family members, especially our friends, especially not hating ourselves. And we don't like to talk about dying, whether it's someone else or ourselves. And we don't like to talk about giving up anything. We don't like to talk about any of those things. But Jesus says, these are the marks of my disciples. And here's a summary of these. 
You love Jesus more than anything else. You admire Jesus above any other man. You enjoy Jesus over any sort of recreation you might participate in. You seek His approval over the approval of men. You trust in Jesus over the claim that any man would ever make. You'd be more grateful to Jesus than you would be for the things that people have done for you. That would include your father and mother and husband and wife and brother and sister. You'd be happier to exalt Jesus than you'd ever be to exalt yourself. And you would grieve over how you could give your best to the one you love. And it would pain you to give him anything less. So do you love Jesus? We have to answer the question. Let's put all the illustrations off to the side and let's just answer the question. It's a yes or a no. It's not yes and no. You can't choose both. But if you say yes, yes, I love Jesus. You're saying, I accept His love. I choose His grace. And I will live for Him. And that's about as plain as it can be, isn't it? Do you love Jesus? You say, yes, I'm accepting what He has done for me. I'm choosing to live in His grace. I will live for Him for the rest of my life. That's not very difficult to say. Neither is it very difficult to say no. No. What are you saying when you say no? Do you love Jesus? No. I know what God through Jesus has done for me, but I'm rejecting His love. I don't need it. You see, that's what it means to fall out of grace. I'm rejecting His love. I'm going to do it on my own. I'm going to do it without Him. I'm going to do it all by myself. That's what it means to be cursed. I'm going to do it without Him, without His love. Without His grace, I'm going to resist His grace. And for what purpose? Why say no? Why resist? It's saying, I'm going to live for me. I'm not going to live for Jesus. I'm going to live for me. So do you love Jesus? Yes or no? You know how to respond. And this morning, we want to pray for you. We want to help you. We want to study with you. We want to talk to you about what it means to have faith in Jesus. We want to talk to you about what it means to repent. We want to talk to you about what it means to to confess your faith in Jesus, to be immersed in, in water for the remission of your sins. We want to talk to you about your Christian walk, how you can live for Him, live faithfully unto Him. If you have a need, if you have questions, reach out and let us know. Give us a call. Text us. Email us. Come be with us next Sunday morning here at 1030. We want to help you. And so now as we we consider the Lord's invitation together, I simply want to ask you this question. Do you love Jesus? Is it yes or is it no?
How will you respond? Think about that as we sing together.